0: Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd Seminary. This podcast is dedicated to discussing issues related to scripture and theology. For more information, visit petergaiman.com. Well, as always, it's good to be with you. It has been a while and I have missed you, although I'm sure that you have Found other things to do with your time than to listen to my riveting podcasts, but I do have something exciting planned for today, or I should say something that's a little different because just over this last week, there was the release of Lifeway Research's newest state of theology. And I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of do a impromptu review of some of the statistics about the state of Christianity and what Christians believe. And it's actually really fascinating. Lifeway Research is an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, or maybe better stated, they're at least affiliated with them. They're not, uh, I don't think there's a direct connection, but they typically do some of the research and obviously they have their own publishing house and and everything. So Lifeway Research partnered with Ligonier Ministries, which obviously was associated with R.C. Sproul, who is no longer with us, having passed to glory. But Ligonier Ministries is still going strong. And so every two years, this coupling, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, work together to do a survey of about 3,000 Christians in the United States. And they come away with various data. And they'll typically ask, I think, somewhere between 30 and 35 questions. The most recent iteration of this survey is 35 statements. And so you're asked as a respondent to the poll to rate this statement. For example, the first statement is God is perfect and cannot make a mistake. So then you would rate that strongly agree, somewhat agree, not sure, disagree, or strongly disagree. So you have those five options to respond. So they've been doing these surveys for, I think, 2014 was the first time they did this and I've tried to pay attention whenever they come out to look and see what people are saying, how Christianity in America is kind of morphing back and forth. And I use that term in scare quotes because obviously I think a true Christian is going to hold steadfast to biblical doctrine and that's going to govern them. But still, this allows us a little bit to put the finger on the pulse of what is nominal Christianity in the United States and, and maybe discern some lessons. So I thought it'd be helpful to review. So what I'm going to do today then with regard to that is is work through this and give kind of my thoughts. I haven't spent much time uh, thinking through this other than just opening it up today and going through the data just to make sure it all worked on my computer and everything. There's actually a website called thestateoftheology.com, which gives a very helpful breakdown of the data. And so I'm on there with my computer right now. And you can break down the respondents into age categories, marriage categories, income categories, evangelical, uh, broader Christianity. You can uh, differentiate them between how often they go to church which is actually, I think, as I was playing with the data, very revealing as far as how some of these respondents are addressing these questions. So I want to make some comments, just going through some of the questions and see how we can think about this uh, being discerning and see what kind of things this data is is demonstrating to us. So I also have not only the 2020 uh, survey up and available here, I also have the 2016 survey, so I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth if there's any major differences. I haven't actually compared them yet, but it's pretty easy, at least hypothetically, to scroll down both of them at the same time and see if there's any major divergence in thinking over the last four years. I think uh, – The 2016 one, unfortunately, is just a PowerPoint, so it's not going to give the same breakdown of the data that I have available with the 2020 survey, but it's still going to be helpful. So the 2016 survey was completed in April. 3,000 participants were involved. There was a 97% confidence rate that the sampling error was not plus or minus 2% or greater. Uh, Same thing with the current methodology of the 2020 survey. They did that one in March of 2020 and they did 3,002 uh, applicants and they have the same sample rate. They had a 95% confidence that the margin of error was not greater than plus or minus 2%. So these are supposed to be very representative samples. Now, of course, there is a, a note there in the methodology saying that if you break it down by categories of individuals, the, or, or subgroups, the margin of error could possibly be higher. And so that's acknowledged, but I still think it's helpful to break it down into those categories. So let's go through a couple of these. I don't know if we'll have time to go through all 35 statements, but I think it'll be helpful to at least go through some of them. So the first statement on the, on the survey that, w- that was given to these respondents were, is the statement, God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. So out of all the Christians that were surveyed, uh, you have to be a Christian in order to participate in this survey. Although, uh, I believe that, um, as we'll see, um, I think that that's, that's part of the issue is that what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and I think that there's some difficulties here. So, would strongly agree with this statement in 2020, and 15% would somewhat agree. So that's right off the bat, 65% uh, of surveyed Christians that would hold to the fact that God is perfect and cannot make a mistake. Now, you think about that and you say, okay, 65%, that's maybe a little lower than we would like, given the fact that God is said to be perfect in scripture, but... You, you know, we this is sad in the sense that from what I saw surveying these uh, just a couple minutes ago, uh, scanning through this, this was actually a a more pleasing result than some of the other ones. And now if I break this down a little more, for example, and, and I go to evangelicals. Uh, so now, again, the question is, how do you determine what an evangelical is for the sake of argument? Uh, I think it's helpful, at least those who would label themselves evangelicals know somewhat hypothetically of the separation from some of the liberal Protestant denominations that are out there. That's, that's what the evangelical quote unquote movement was all about. So if you label this with evangelicals, for example, there, and by the way, of the 3002 respondents, 573 identified as evangelicals. So that's about Uh, I think it's 19%, just under 20% are identified as evangelicals. So we're going to get a lot of big picture Christianity stuff here. But if we look at evangelical terminology specifically, 94% strongly agree with the statement, God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. So that's a little more encouraging. 4% agree. So that's 98%. And then only 2% disagree with that from an evangelical viewpoint. So whoever those 2% are, kick them out of the church, wherever they, uh, whoever they are. All right. So going on to statement number two, uh, the statement is there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So typical Trinitarian affirmation, and that is affirmed either strongly or uh, at least somewhat uh, by 72% of Christians surveyed. So seventy-two percent. Now, this is actually uh, interestingly enough. Um, if we looked back in time, as it were, sixty-nine percent uh, of the two thousand sixteen uh, survey, sixty-nine percent had been in agreement with this statement previously, but seventy-two percent uh, are in agreement in two thousand twenty. So. I mean, I don't know if that's enough of a difference to qualify something interesting, but it is at least, I think this speaks to the fact that uh, the Trinity is recognized enough in tr- even traditional uh, ecclesiastical jargon that that's something people know they're supposed to recognize. However, as we continue on, I think that uh, we see that maybe they don't actually know what that means. All right. So, Here's statement number three. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So this is a very, uh, very uh, Unitarian kind of idea. God accepts the worship of all religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now of the Christians that are surveyed, you have 63% agreeing with that statement. So, on the one hand, they would hold, so far, you had, uh, you had quite the agreement, uh, and I think that's encouraging in one sense, in one sense, uh, on the Trinitarian statement and the perfection of God. But you have, overall, Christians saying, well, yeah, God accepts all of these religions, Judaism and Islam, uh, and Christianity. Now, in disagreement, now, by the way, 13% said they weren't sure, so that would vault the numbers up to basically uh, 63 plus 13, so 76% of people either not being sure or uh, saying, yes, that is true. So what that would mean then is that over three quarters of Christians either don't know or they think that God would accept other religions, being Judaism and Islam specifically named here. That's three quarters of Christians. Now, if you, if you differentiate that with evangelicals, for example, if I, if I say, well, how do the evangelicals rate this? Well, still, even there, the amount of evangelicals that disagree, although it's higher than the overall Christian results, you still have only 49% of evangelicals who would disagree with that statement. So either, the the rest of the evangelicals and by the way 33% strongly agree with that statement from the evangelical viewpoint at least according to this survey so what that means is that we are beginning to lose well okay it's lost for for a for all intents and purposes is that many in the church and because of our cultural influence we no longer are holding to a idea of absolute truth and the fact that We can't both be right. And I think I've, well, I've shared this story with many people, but I don't think I've shared it on the podcast per se. But I remember sitting next to a lady on a plane one time and she was reading a book about uh, all, it was like how to, you know, embrace your spirituality or something. That was the title. And so I was like, whoa, what are you reading there? That's, that's super interesting. And I remember uh, she was saying, oh, it talks about Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad and how they're all basically teaching the same thing. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's interesting. Uh, tell me more about that. And then she explained more. And and I said, oh, okay, well, so what do you think Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That seems like an exclusive statement, which would say, you can't come to me and, or you can't come to the Father except through me. You can't go through Buddha. You can't go through Muhammad. You have to come through me. That seems exclusive. And I remember just being very surprised. This was my first introduction. I think I was, you know, fresh in college or something. This was my first introduction to this whole idea of we can have multiple truths. And that's, that's what you believe and what I believe. And they're both true. And I remember thinking to myself, that's literally impossible because what I believe is that you're wrong. And if what I believe is true, that you have to be wrong. And so it was crazy to just think that somebody would uh, embrace a rational position or technically irrational position where affirming that somebody else is true would invalidate your statement. However, you embrace that with no contradiction whatsoever. So that's part of the world which we live in. And now, granted, there are changes going on even in the current day with, with, uh, kind of even leaving a postmodern viewpoint into embracing, you know, the critical theory uh, as a worldview. And so there are going to be ramifications of that. But with the remnants of postmodern viewpoints, this, this finds its way into Christianity, where we can believe things that, you know, the Bible teaches or that we're taught in churches, but other people believe other things too, and God is okay with that. Well, that is not the truth. And so we need to understand that even people in our churches are embracing these these postmodern viewpoints, even among evangelicals, uh, because of the the wishy-washy, watered-down elements of truth in scripture. And we need to be firm on those things. All right, going to the fourth statement on the 2020 survey, God created male and female. So... Happily, there were 65% that strongly agreed with that, and then another 14% that, that somewhat agreed. And so, right away, we're looking at, uh, 79% of Christianity, which, which agrees with that, God creating man, male and female. And there's 9% that aren't sure, and then 12% that disagree, some, some, uh, in some way, whether strongly or, or, uh, not. Now that, that's actually up a little bit from, from the 2016, there were 15 percent that disagreed with that statement in 2016. But there has been a a resurgence of of at least some degree, three uh, percent. And I wonder if part of that is the pushback uh, against transger- transgenderism. Of course, it could just be you know the people surveyed in different churches as well. This is. By the way, this is a representative survey in the sense that it does uh, go all around the country to northeast, south, west, uh, and north. So hypothetically, it would cover kind of the the broad range of Christianity in the United States, but but it could uh, vary that way. Now, evangelicals uh, here, 99% uh, strongly agree and 1% agree. So there is no disagreement on the evangelical side of things. Uh, with God creating male and female, according to the survey. And that's, that's really neat. Now, one of the things I also want to point out here is uh, this is typical of the questions as well. With the church attendance, this also impacts how you, how you are answering these kinds of questions. So, for example, the attendance metric is broken down to uh, the respondent attends church several times a week, once a week, once to twice a month only on religious holidays, rarely or never. Those are the rubrics. Well, if you uh, look at, if you select never, for example, well, among those who never go to church, you have 22% who aren't sure if God created male and female. And then you also have 32% who disagree with that statement. So that's obviously very uh, significant. You have well over 50% there who would be on the not sure or disagreeing side. But if you select people who attend church several times a week, you have 96% of the people who agree. And I'd say this is indicative of the survey as a whole, as I've just been playing around with with it right before I started recording with the podcast. I noticed that if you select people who go to church more often, they are more inclined to agree with what we would call biblically orthodox statements. And that's not surprising, but it it just is one of those things to keep in mind that going to church is so important. And in fact, we, uh, we just think about the essential nature of church. I mean, it, it literally does help us think correctly in the world, and we desperately need that. We need to be able to filter these things because we are constantly oppressed by these negative viewpoints. All right, so we move on to statement number five, and this concerns the bodily resurrection of Jesus and whether or not the account is accurate. Uh, surprisingly, uh, I think it's, I guess, indicative of some of the other questions, but only 66% would agree that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now, 66%, I mean, we take our wins where we get them, I guess, but that doesn't really seem like a win uh, when that's such a core part of Christianity. Now again, you mark evangelicals and you have 98% agreement with that, 1% not sure, and then 1% uh, is in slight disagreement with that. So again, evangelicals, typically uh, more orthodox, they they understand that this is a core part of Christianity versus broader Christianity, the resurrection isn't really as important. And that's very typical of of liberalism and the influx there. All right. Statement number six. Now, this is kind of interesting. And this kind of gets my uh, my mind going a little bit. Uh, this question relates to Jesus and whether or not he was created by God. So this statement, statement number six, says Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. So Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, the stats, as they read holistically, uh, you have about, well, 55% agreeing with that statement. 17% somewhat agree, 38% strongly agree. So 55% of Christians would agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, remember, there was a very strong affirmation of the Trinity earlier on. And it was, <laughs> when we looked at that, it, it was clear that there was... Uh, I think it was close to 75% uh, or just just shy of that. Um I think it was actually closer to 70% if I remember correctly for the uh agreement of the Trinity. But yet again, it doesn't seem like there's a understanding of what that actually means or what the what the Trinity uh stands for. And so here you have uh a strong contingent, over half of those surveyed, saying that Jesus was created by God. And of course, what we would believe holding to the Trinity is that Jesus always existed. Uh, he is God in and of himself as well. And so three three persons, one God, that's the the eternal existence of God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? You know, this, this means obviously a very, uh, lack, uh, basic and lacking understanding of the Trinity and what, uh, Christ, uh, who Christ is as far as a created being. And you might say, well, does limiting the evangelical church, uh, save us with regard to that? Well, not as much as you would hope, uh, because you, you differentiate the results through evangelicals. And I'm, you know, I, I wish this was some sort of mistake, but I, I don't think it is because when you limit the results to the evangelicals, those 573 respondents of the 3002, you actually see a slight uptick in those who strongly agree with that statement. Now, granted, again, there might be more variability with the survey results. We, we acknowledge that, but uh, it, it says that there's 62% who would agree with that strongly among evangelicals. Now, there's also a, a larger contingent that would strongly disagree. So instead of the average 21%, now there are, uh, there are 25% that would strongly disagree with that. And so we take that for what it's worth. But what that would indicate is that even among the evangelical church, there is a strong lack of understanding about the eternality of Christ and uh his eternal existence and what that means for the trinity it's it just shows that there's there's a lack of theological basis for for the church and this this should be concerning this is why it's necessary not to just play around in church but to actually teach the deep things of theology and doctrine you can't have things like this which are so basic uh to the christian faith in understanding how scripture works together and just see friends family relatives or whatever completely miss the boat on this and and that's that's really sad all right statement number seven another statement which uh you know is concerning to say the least the statement number seven is jesus was a great teacher but he was not god okay so now what whereas the last statement statement number six uh, talked about being created by God. This statement assaults Jesus' deity as a whole. And if you're wondering how the stats read on this one, you're not going, well, <laughs> you will be disappointed, but if you're not going to be surprised if going on the last statement is you have 51% of Christians agree with this statement. So 28% strongly agree, 23% somewhat agree. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Now, 27% also strongly disagree with this statement. So granted, there is an understanding within Christianity, but you still have over half of those surveyed who are saying, yes, we agree that Jesus was not God. Now, maybe some people just misunderstood the question, trying to think that God the Father, but... But I think you would be able to understand what's being asked for here. I doubt that, that uh, that's, the, that's the case. Now, even if you do evangelicals, again, you do have a higher contingent that disagree with this. So instead of the normal 27% of strongly disagreeing, you do have 62% of evangelicals that disagree, um, meaning that they acknowledge Jesus was God. But you still do have 30% of evangelicals who would hold to the fact that Jesus was not God. According to this survey, so again, this, this is sad. This is sad stuff, uh, especially when the Bible seems to be remarkably clear with regard to these issues. Uh, you know, the testimony of Thomas comes to mind. Obviously, you know, "My Lord, My God," this is the acknowledgement that Jesus is standing before him. He is Thomas's Lord and God. This is this is important, and yet evangelicals are are not equipped. Christians as a whole, obviously, but evangelicals who are supposed to be apart from this liberalism are also ill-equipped to deal with these items. Alright, I want to move on to, I'm going to skip a couple of these statements. I, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, it is, uh, it is revealing in going through these, but I'm going to skip ahead to statement 11. The previous statements dealt more with the Holy Spirit and some of the, some of the more theological uh, nature of issues. But I want to skip ahead a little bit to the, the nature of man and to, uh, to make some comments on, on these issues. So this is statement number 11. And this statement is that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. So everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Well, if you think about how you would expect Christians to answer based on the understanding of the total depravity of man and how we understand we are, we're all sinners in Adam and we're, in the words of Paul, we're battling the flesh. There's a strong uh, war going on here. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is desperately wicked. Above all things, who can know it? You know, we think about these ideas we would hold, as Christians, to the fact that man is not by nature good, but in the words of Jesus in Matthew 15, out of the heart come these iniquitous acts, whether they be adulteries, lyings, uh, thievings, all sorts of things. So we would say that man is by nature uh, wicked, uh, in the sense that he's tainted uh, by the fall, and so every man has this sin nature. However, most Christians surveyed uh, would agree with the statement that most people are good by nature. So that's a 65% agreement. 65%, 7% are not sure, and then 28% have some sort of disagreement with that. So only 28% of Christians, just essentially a quarter of Christianity, would disagree with this fact, which I would say is very fundamental to Christianity, understanding that we are sinners and we need a savior. And so again, we have a lower view of God and Christ being shown in the data here, and we have an exalted view of man, even in the church. This is very dangerous for for the church. Even among evangelicals, by the way, although there's slightly more disagreement, you have in disagreement here, you have the uh, 49% disagreeing with the statement that People are good by nature. That's a little more encouraging, 49% uh, percent instead of the measly 28%. But still, you have, at the same time, 46% agreeing with that statement among evangelicals. So it's still a lot of work to be done in in Christianity to teach people what Scripture has to say about the human condition, about anthropology, and how we're to be understanding the human nature. I mean, this is this is really important basic stuff. Now, this is—I mean, I, w- I wish I could visually show you the graph on this next question because this is again indicative of what we've just been talking about. Statement number twelve is: "Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation." Well, across the board, the strongly disagree category just explodes with percentage. 54% of all Christians surveyed strongly disagree with the statement that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And then 12% also uh, somewhat disagree with that. So we're looking at 66% of disagreement. And then you have 9% that aren't sure. And then you only have 25% that would agree somewhat or uh, very strongly with the fact that that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. So what you have, if the biblical standard here, you, you you walk with it, walk with me through the biblical standard. If God is completely holy and he cannot tolerate sin in his presence, then yes, even the smallest sin would deserve eternal damnation. But what you have is an entire generation of Christians, or an entire uh, church, if you want to use the term loosely, uh, scare quotes in that sense, an entire collection of churches that believe their standard of justice is better than God's, that they know better. Because it seems to be very clear that the soul that sins shall die. It doesn't say the soul that sins in such and such a way or with such and such severity will die. No, it's, it's the sin that alienates a sinner from a holy God. We understand that biblically speaking, but I think what we're starting to see evidence of is the fact that the biblical authority has been completely divorced from the church has been uh, completely divorced from the church. And so people are deriving their, their authority uh, from some something else, uh, something else and not uh, from God. All right, moving on to the Bible then and some of the statements about the Bible. Uh, Statement 15, the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. So those that would agree in, in broader Christianity uh, would be 48%. So less than half Christians believe that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. Now that is definitely higher among evangelicals. Whereas you have the 48% among general Christians, you actually have 91% of evangelicals would agree with that. So that's encouraging. Uh, And I think one of the things about evangelicals is is they know that the Bible is supposed to be authoritative in their life, but the issue that they get in trouble with is that a lot of times they, they don't study it, they don't know it, they don't, they don't teach it in many regards. And so even though they know the principle that the Bible is supposed to be authoritative, they don't know the Bible per se. And so that's why they've run into some issues from an evangelical standpoint. But at least there is the acknowledgement that scripture is supposed to be the authority. However, broader Christianity, you have 9% that aren't sure, and then you have Uh, you have just under 43% of Christians disagree that the Bible is 100% accurate. Uh, This is an interesting one. In statement number 17, you have the statement, God will always reward true faith with material blessing in this life. So God will always reward true faith with material blessing in this life. So what that, uh, it's basically the health and wealth, uh, prosperity. Uh, this is something that, uh, that we've seen from time to time. And so this, this statement is drawing out the fact that you believe that God is, is, you know, obligated because of your faith to reward you with material blessing, essentially. Well, you have, you have over 50% disagreeing with that statement so that's encouraging. So you have 32% strongly disagree, 19% uh, somewhat disagree. So over 50% uh, disagree, 51% disagree with that statement. So in one sense, that's encouraging because we have over half of Christians disagreeing with that, understanding that material blessing is not related. But on the other hand, you have 13% that aren't sure, and then you have Uh, 26% that would agree in some fashion with that statement. So again, you have a quarter of Christians that would agree that God should materially bless uh, Christians because of their faith. Now, what's also interesting is even though you have the 26% that agree with that statement, among evangelicals, you actually have uh, 39% agreement with that statement. So I don't know if that's. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how that would be explainable from an evangelical standpoint. Why is it that evangelicals would be more likely to agree with that statement than broader Christianity? And I, I don't have an explanation for that. I I'm not sure it. It's perhaps it would be something similar with. Uh, I know that especially in Southern Christianity. I know you. I'm, I'm not going to fool with it, but I know you can actually. Uh, differentiate these statements and, and the respondents according to location. So it would be interesting to see if you had some sort of Southern, uh, you know, Joel Osteen, uh, some of the uh, like uh, health, wealth and prosperity preachers that could loosely identify as evangelical in some fashion, and perhaps they would affiliate with that idea. And so perhaps if we could trace, trace that to, to the church, Aspect that would be that would be helpful. Now, what's even more helpful, I think, instead of uh, differentiating that way, is when you differentiate it with uh, how often somebody attends church. You can you can differentiate that they t- tend to have a better view of this statement. So again, that's that's typically a well known statement or a well known way of determining. Exactly who we're dealing with. Does this person actually go to church? Do they claim to go to church and whatnot? All right. So then statement number 18, hell is a real place where certain people will be punished forever. So hell's a real place where certain people will be punished forever. This is only 56% in agreement of Christianity. So just over half, peop- half of Christians believe that hell is a real place now evangelicals that's uh becomes about uh 93%. So again evangelicals uh, against broader Christianity this this shows that you know just because somebody claims to be a Christian or goes to church per se doesn't necessarily mean that they hold to what uh scripture talks about. But again if you differentiate the results by church attendance, if somebody attends church several times a week uh whether they're evangelical or not, then they are 83, 83%, 83% uh, agreement. Those, those who attend church several times a week, 83% of them would agree with the statement that hell is a real real place versus, let's say, somebody who only goes to uh, church rarely, however that would be defined, then only 40, 47% of those individuals would hold to that. Alright, so we're, I want to go on to some, some issues of morality now, because I think this, this is, this is helpful. Actually, on the way to do that though, uh, the statement 25, the Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. So the Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. By the way, I've been keeping my eye on the 2016 report, and there hasn't really been many, uh, major differences yet, so. Uh, I'm just keeping going, mainly talking about the 2020 uh, results. And the 2020 results say that 51% of Christians say the Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. 51%. Think about what that means. And this is what uh, we go back to what I was talking about earlier, is that when we... Talk about why Christians don't understand the Trinity, why they don't understand some of these basic theological precepts. A lot of it relates to their view of the, of the Bible. And this also relates to scripture and, and everything is, is if you hold to scripture as the ultimate authority, which is another question on this, this survey, then that's going to affect how you believe, how you act, how you function. And so, The Bible does have the authority to tell us what we must do. Only 51% of Christians say yes. That's, that's very, very dangerous. That's, that's not a Christian religion if the Bible doesn't have the authority. Now, again, evangelicals, slightly more encouraging. You have 94% saying yes in the affirmative. Uh, A similar uh, question on that. Well, actually, let's just go on to the the morality uh, questions for the time being. So the question sex outside of marriage, sex outside of a traditional marriage is a sin. So sex outside of a traditional marriage is a sin. Well, 51% of Christians agree with that. 51%. Now, <clears throat> there is no debate about what scripture says on this. Uh... There shouldn't be. There can't be. It's so obvious in thinking through the theology and how scripture talks about this. So scripture talks about the necessity of marriage and how labeling sex outside of the traditional marriage, whether it be adultery or whether it be fornication, those are sinful acts, right? And that's what scripture teaches. And yet here you have Christians, quote unquote, that 51% of the Christians say it's a sin. Again, a complete disconnect from biblical authority to how Christians are interpreting, uh, they're, they're being influenced by the culture. They're, they're letting that, uh, drive them. And so this is, this is the danger. Now, again, if you, uh, do it evangelicals, more encouraging, you have, uh, 90% say that it is. But then again, why only 90% of evangelicals? This is very clear. You have 3% that aren't sure. I would like to talk to those people who aren't sure. I mean, it's pretty obvious in the Bible. Uh, and then you have 7% that would disagree. And again, I, if the Bible is the authority, I, you have to line up on that where, where scripture talks about it. Again, if you attend church several times a week, you are more likely to affirm this statement. Uh, people who attend the church several times a week responded in, let's see, percent. Uh, 81%, 81% agreed with the statement that sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. But if you only attend twice a month or something like that, then you're back down to the norm where you have 53% saying that it's a sin. So again, church attendance and your understanding and embracing of morality is related. So just as a warning, I mean, those people who just don't think that church is important. They don't want to show up. They don't want to be invest in, in that. Well, that's indicative of a different problem. It's it's a symptom of a, of a deeper heart issue uh, and should be a very big red warning flag. All right. What about the statement abortion is a sin? So you have, again, 51. I think the last one was 51% as well. <clears throat> yeah. 51% last time and 51% here as well would say abortion is a sin, although there's a, there's a lot higher of a percentage that strongly agree with this. And so 34% of Christians strongly agree with this statement that abortion is a sin. So now on the other side too, you also have 24% that strongly disagree, which is another, uh, it matches closely with what, uh, was with the last question, those who disagreed strongly with sex outside of marriage being a sin. Now, abortion being a sin, not surprisingly is much, uh, much the same with regard to on the evangelical side of things being strongly, strongly viewed as a sin. So you have 88% that would agree. Now you do have 5% of evangelicals that are not sure. And then the 7% that would disagree with that statement. And by the way, this is, uh, when, when you think about even political issues, one of the things that came out now, Mulder had, had a lot of good commentary on this, is that a lot of The reasons people voted for Trump in 2016, for example, was just because of the abortion issue. You had the most radical uh, pro-abortion candidate in Hillary Clinton. And so a lot of evangelicals that just despised Trump loved babies more. And so they voted for Trump. And I think that's one of the one of the main reasons you had Trump. In fact, it's interesting because. You know, you, you always play the what if game, but if uh, she would have been more conservative on abortion, it's entirely likely that, or even if she would have said, just lied and said that she was more conservative on abortion, it's likely that Trump would have never been president because that was such a big uh, driving force for evangelicals. And so a lot of evangelicals are in support of this statement. Uh, Christianity as a whole, only 51% uh, gender identity is a matter of choice. Statement number 29, you have, you have 38% of Christians agreeing with that statement. You have just over half, 52% disagreeing with that, with 10% not sure. Now in statement number 30, it has to deal with homosexuality, which is of particular interest because homosexuality has been making particular inroads to our uh, our churches uh, uh, gay acceptance and even arguing for homosexual pastors and all those things. So the the statement 30 is the Bible's condemnation of homosexuality behavior does not apply today. Now there are 40 percent of people, 40 percent of Christians that that agree with that statement and then there are all right I say 40 uh, yeah 40 percent, agree with that statement, while you have 43% that disagree. And then you have 17% that aren't sure. Now, what you kind of see with this issue, as well as, um, well, some of the other issues might uh, might rise a little bit with that. But but with this issue in particular, because of the uh, political nuances that are thrown in there, and you've had so many new books coming out, arguing for from a "Quote unquote Christian perspective for these these things. What what's shocking to me is the amount of people that are not sure. So seventeen percent. I think this is the highest. Yeah, I'm just trying to scroll through, and this is the highest amount of percentage, at least that that I can remember about people that aren't sure about something. So you almost have a fifth of Christians that aren't sure whether or not the Bible's condemnation of homosexual should homosexual behavior should apply and this speaks to the need of the church to speak to these issues it's the all around us the culture is saying oh you know it's it's in the dna of these individuals and and they can't uh, they can't help themselves or some, those are some of the typical arguments or they're beautiful the way that god created them god created them like this you know arguments like this and so people are hearing this day in day out and they don't know what to think and so it is rather clear in scripture what scripture thinks about these issues and how it speaks to those issues. But the issue really is how does scripture apply? Do we, do we apply this? And a lot of people have taken and found many different ways to get around these, these commands and find ways to nuance them so that they don't apply in their, in their worldview. And so as Christians, we want to be sure we're using consistency, a consistent hermeneutic, a consistent interpretive framework to show people how to apply these things. Very, very important. Now, statement 31 through 35 deal with ultimate authorities and and scripture again. Statement 31 says, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, and it is not about objective truth. So let me say that again. It is not about objective truth. Fifty four percent of Christians believe that. Fifty four percent. That religious belief is not about objective truth. It's just personal opinion. So in other words, it has nothing to do with the truth. That is not Christianity. That, That has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is a religion that's built upon truth. It's a If, if Christianity, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ be not raised from the dead, you have believed in vain. Your whole, your whole organizational structure, everything you believe is, is in vain. It all collapses. It's a house of cards. Now, thankfully, evangelicals are slightly less inclined to say that, but still, 26% of evangelicals, according to this survey, uh, would also agree with that statement, not about objective truth. So again, this just shows the pervasive postmodern influence on the your truth. I want my truth. You can have your truth. You know, we'll all have our different pluralities of truths together. Now, statement number 32 talks about the Bible uh, being the highest authority. So the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Only, only 62% of Christians agreed with that. 37 strongly, 25% uh, somewhat. Well, again, that's, you know, slightly over half. Uh, 60% of Christians agreeing with that. That's that's good, I suppose. But again, you go to evangelicals and according to the survey, evangelicals 100% uh, responded that way. I find it kind of hard to believe that 100% would say that. But again, that's what the survey data tells me. Um, you would expect some sort of outlier or something. Maybe maybe that has to do with being uh, weighted because I think some of the uh, some of the subcategories of the survey are weighted just to try to make them even and whatnot. But and then also the the rest of the statements have to do with with sharing the gospel. And no surprise, uh, those evangelicals in contrast to non-evangelicals are more adamant about sharing the gospel. And it's very important to them to see their neighbors come into a relationship with Christ. And so, but maybe not surprising given what we've been talking about for Christianity as a whole, usually just barely over 50%. It's important for, for people uh, to see their neighbors uh, come to Christ. You know, that's, that's a really sad sad commentary on Christianity. So any any final thoughts here on what we're talking about in the statement of theology? It's, we've, we've kind of taken our time going through this and, and one of the things that really jumps out at me is the need to be in church. And I've heard Al Mohler say this a lot in his commentary is that there's a difference between somebody who claims to be a Christian and somebody who actually goes to church. And those who go to church, behave differently than those who don't. Now, it's it's kind of, it's a symbiotic relationship in the way that God has designed things because being in church edifies you with other believers, encourages you with other believers, you're being taught God's word, and that's what causes life change. It's not just being in a building per se that would that would be the difference maker. But when you are taking those steps to go there, you're also committing yourself each week, even multiple times a week, to embracing this lifestyle of submission to scripture, of pursuing Christ with everything that you have, that makes a difference because you're constantly reminding yourself of the commitment to God. And compared to people who don't do that, the differences are obvious. The differences are obvious. And so I think there are probably people in this survey, I I think we could be sure that that are answering these question, questions, claiming to be Christians, and they are not. They're not Christians. And so we we need to take that, take that for what it's worth and acknowledge that, that going to church is one of the most important indicators of whether or not somebody is actually a believer. Now, even that being said, there's also some dangerous red flags here, warning signals, where there are a lot of people who, who don't know what the Bible teaches on issues? Even in evangelical churches, even in uh, Bible-believing churches, we need to be we need to be aware of these things and making sure that we're teaching scriptures, all of scriptures, uh, especially addressing these foundational issues about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, about God who has saved us from our sins. We need to be addressing the issues of morality as as uh, ethics and talking about how Scripture applies to these issues. These are all very important to us. And so I hope, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope that you're able to uh, think through these things. And I hope that as you have opportunity to talk to other believers, this will give good fodder for conversation, as it were. So if you're interested in this survey, uh, you can go to the state of Again, it's put out by uh, the state of theology. Uh, uh, Part of the Ligonier Ministry in conjunction with Lifeway Research, and you can check out the original data there. Uh, if you have any questions, comments for me, any other episode ideas, I'm always looking forward to hearing from you. You can access my contact form on petergaman.com. You can also access a lot of the blog articles that I've written there through the archive page and reach out to me that way. You can also access the Shepherds Theological Seminary website, shepherds.edu and check out information on the seminary there. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon. you.